Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Bad on Paper podcast. I'm Grace Atwood. And I'm Becca Freeman. And today we have an amazing guest. This is our July book club episode, and we read American Spy by Lauren Wilkinson. And we actually have Lauren on the phone with us to talk all things about her book, um, her writing process. Oh, it's, it was a really fun interview. I learned so much from her. I think she's so amazing and so talented. So we're really, really, really excited to have her with us. But um, we're going to talk about ourselves first. and As always. But first, a uh, quick word from a sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Night Pillow, the pillow we could not sleep without. It is the best pillow ever. I'm actually not exaggerating there. We the lo- best. We love it. Celebs love it. It helps you sleep better and it preserves your blowout. Double win. And if you go to discovernight.com, you can take 20% off your purchase with code BOP20. We'll tell you more about it later in the episode, but use our code BOP20. Grace, tell me, I haven't seen you in a while. I have not seen you in a while. In real life. In real life. So we record, our recording schedule is a little all over the place this summer because Becca and I have actual opposite travel schedules through like mid-August. But, um... It's nice to see you. It's 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 been a while. It has been a while. Tell me what you have been up to. Tell me your high. I have a lot of highs. So Oh wow. I got back from my yoga retreat last night. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. I've been feeling like shit, like basically just going through like a slump post um post tour. Like so I felt like it was really good to like eat very healthfully. Um to do yoga twice a day. I think going on a yoga retreat is kind of like the closest thing to what being a celebrity or a movie star is like. Oh. Like you basically have a personal chef. Someone's cooking you healthy, organic meals and like really making sure that like, you know, the fish that you had that night is like locally sourced and there's no mercury in it. Um, You have somebody working you out twice a day. Like I was like, this would be what I think that being on a yoga retreat is kind of like the closest thing to being Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, that's my personal opinion. In between the yoga and the food, I worked. So I, it was like I still was doing like a four or five hour work day. So I felt like I kind of know what it's like to be a celebrity. Okay. Yeah. I don't really know what to say to that. Yeah. That, that's my that's my personal take on a yoga retreat. You just feel so cared for. Now I'm like, I have to feed myself. Like, what am I going to make? And it, nothing lives up to what Lauren cooked for us on the retreat. Welcome back to the real world. Yeah, I'm back to real life. My other high, oh, is like such a huge high for me. I got verified on Instagram. So we talked about, we've talked about this. I've complained about it before. And at the Nashville live show, I had been whining. I don't know, even know what I was saying. I black out like what I talk about during the live shows. But I was complaining about not being verified on Instagram. And then Riley, who is one of our listeners, um, was like, I think I can help you with that. So like we emailed a little bit here and there. And then I was emailing her and she's like, oh, by the way, did you fill out the application? My contact said you need to do that. And so I filled it out. And within an hour, I was verified. And so you're really drunk with power over here. I you, am. You're Gwyneth Paltrow because somebody was just like chefing for you and working you out. Mm-hmm. And now you are you have a blue check mark. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm feeling good. I mean... Like, it really doesn't mean a lot, but in the influencer space, it does. So On the Venn diagram of, like, you and Gwyneth, you're just, like, the same circle. Pretty much. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's slight differences. Yeah, she's a mom. Yeah. She's a mom. That, that's the only thing that separates us. You know, she's married to... Well, she's not married to him anymore. Chris Martin. I love yeah. him. 
yeah. you know, she has a multi-million, billion-dollar company. Famous no, your actress. circle's the same. It's just the the outside sliver is that she's a mom. Yeah. Otherwise, we're the same. Do you think she's a Persian cat? I don't. I don't think she likes cats. Oh. Yeah. That's the okay, other Okay, so that's the other sliver. You have a cat. She has kids. Yeah. Okay. Becca, what was your high? Um, so my high was that I was in Seattle the weekend before last for a bachelorette party. And I'd never been to Seattle before. And it was really fun. I It was cool to check out a city that I've never been to. We had an amazing dinner. We went to this restaurant called June Baby, which was a James Beard Award winner and was insane. We went to a really fun burlesque show. Your Instagram was, stories looked fun. It was fun. Um, and then one night we had a dinner party in our bathrobes, which was very on brand for me. We stayed in this house in, it was kind of, it was outside of Seattle. It was in, I guess there's a wine region right north of Seattle. So we stayed there and we had this really beautiful house that had like all of these amazing grounds and it was like a secret garden kind of. And there was this weird shed out back that I called the antique garage. And um, so we had a really cool magical dinner party out there that was like candlelit and my friend Cassie is a chef. And so all the food was really wonderful. Um, but yeah, it was a really, it was a really nice little trip. It was a quick trip. I was only there for three days. So to go cross country, it was a lot, but um, yeah, it was fun. That sounds so nice. Yeah. What about on the low front? Okay, this involves a different Riley, um, not the Riley who got me my check mark. Riley Sager, you guys, Riley Sager is a man, and I'm like still coming to grips with that. So first of all, to all of the listeners, I apologize as I have referred to him as a she but multiple I think times. He was trying to pass himself off as yeah. a she. Like I think you weren't supposed to know. No, I wasn't supposed to know, but it was a low um, realizing that. So basically, what happened was. Morgan from NYC Book Girl sent me all these articles. Um, she's just a wealth of knowledge about all things books. We're going to have her on the podcast soon, I think. But um, she sent me a great article about why authors do this, because it's really to capitalize on all of these thrillers that are written by women. So it was just a low to find out that it was a man. I felt duped. And I felt stupid. Are you going to keep reading his books? Yes. I just, well, we're going to talk about what we read at the end of the episode. Oh. I, I've read all three of his books, and I love them all. But I'm still, like, dealing with the fact that he's a man. Is that really his name, or is that a pseudonym? It's a pseudonym. Wait, let me look, at, look it up. Riley Sager, real name. You'll tell us at the end of the episode. I don't know that it's important. It's J... No, it's not J.P. Delaney. That's not... He is Daniel Mallory. Interesting. Yeah. What I'm, would your I'm pen upset. name be? be? My name. I like my name. Oh, okay. Yeah. You have bad SEO, though. I have great SEO. No, that I'm Grace Atwood because show of that is gone. show. It's gone now. Oh, okay. And so... There was a Grace Atwood on a show called Guilt, you guys. And it was really screwing up with the SEO for my name. But it's the show seems to be canceled. Oh, okay. Yeah. I sent them a cease and desist. So, so they you own the Grace show. Atwood again. Yeah. Very Gwyneth of you. I know. Um, on my end, my low, and I feel like sometimes I complain about the weather when I don't have a low, but this is a legit low. So we're recording this a little in advance. We just had a heat wave in New York. It was um, 99 both days of the weekend. Brutal. Which is too hot in the city. It is too hot. Oh, wait. I have a low. I was trapped on the Jitney in the heat wave with no AC for three hours yesterday. I know. When you told me that, I was like, I would get out and I would just live on Long Island then. Yeah, but it's not any better outside. I would go into a roadside gas station and live there. Yeah. It's bad. It, It was 
so hot here. It was miserable. But the part, like the worst part is that I'm going to London tomorrow and I'm getting the heat wave again because it's it's going that direction. And so on Wednesday and Thursday in London, it's supposed to also be 95 degrees. Oh, you're getting you're getting the double heat waves. It was so hot. I went out yesterday. I went out for lunch with a friend and then we walked over to a bookstore and I came home and it literally took me hours to recover. I was so hot and oh, there's something about I know there are people who live in the south and who deal with this every day, but there's something really special about being in the city during the heat. So first of all, you don't have a car, so you are like walking in it to get to and from the subway. And then second of all, I think because the subway runs underground, it just creates more heat that radiates up. So I looked at one point yesterday and the heat index was like, it was a hundred, it was like, feels like 110. And you were like, oh, cool. Great. Oh, great. Yeah. So I'm, I don't deal well with extreme heat. I think my ideal temperature is like high seventies. Yeah. I like a, I like the high seventies. I like that nice spring or fall weather where you don't need a jacket but if you put one on you'd be fine yeah you have a lot of wardrobe flexibility you can wear sleeveless you can wear sleeves Mm -hmm. the world is your oyster yeah so it's been too hot here and that's really getting me down yeah but you you know what doesn't get me down what when you guys share us on your instagram stories or leave us a review in itunes what a good segue. I know. Please go to iTunes and talk about what great segues I give. We'd love that. It's all about the transition. And talk about how much you enjoyed this interview with Lauren Wilkinson. Because guess what? More reviews equals more great author interviews. It's hard to get these authors to come on. Like, they need to know that we're legit. So yeah. the reviews help show that. Yeah. I'm still mad that Jasmine Guillory won't come on. Maybe she will if you give us enough reviews. Yes. But shall we get into the interview? Yes, let's do it. Um, So today we have a very special guest for our book club. We actually have the author joining us for the first time. So today we're discussing American Spy and Lauren Wilkinson is joining us remotely from L.A. to chat about the book. Hi, Hi, everyone. (laughs) We're so excited to have you. This is so cool. This is also our first ever Skype interview. So cool. I'm so glad. There, I hope it goes. Hope it goes well. So I, yeah, <laughs> so us too. I have plenty more. <laughs> us too. Um, you used to live in New York, though, didn't you? I did. I still think of myself as living in New York. Um, I'm just out here. I got a job writing um, for a TV show, and it's contract work. So I plan to come back when it's done. Oh, how cool! So before we talk to you all about the book, we're going to go into the plot summary just so everyone knows what we're talking about. So you get to hear us <laughs> summarize your book, which is a little awkward. <laughs> Okay, so the book opens with somebody breaking into Marie's house that she shares with her young twin sons. She kills the intruder, but she knows that it isn't just a break-in. This was targeted. So she takes her sons to Martinique, where her mother lives, and the book is told in two different timelines. Marie's present, which is in the early 90s, and then through a letter to her sons, which describes the events of her past that led to now, when she was an FBI agent and occasional CIA contractor in the 1980s. 
So just as background, Marie is a black woman born and raised in New York. Her mother left her when she was young, um, not wanting to live in the U.S., and she returned back to her home in Martinique. And her father is a police officer who was always, always working. So she was mostly raised by her older sister, Helene. As children, they were fascinated with becoming spies. So while Marie goes to college, Helene actually enlists in the army to pursue her goal of becoming an intelligence officer. But shortly after returning from a tour in Vietnam, her sister dies suddenly in a car accident. So Marie graduates Quantico and joins the FBI in 1985, which is during the height of the Cold War. The country is obsessed with spies and the government is funding massive undercover operations to protect themselves against Russia. And despite being at the top of her class, Marie is constantly passed over for higher profile undercover jobs because of both her race and her gender. So a CIA agent comes to talk to Marie about an African rights organization that she's been monitoring. And he's curious about Thomas Sankara, the young charismatic president of Burkina Faso, where he seized power in a military coup in 1983. So he was coming to New York to speak at the UN, and Marie is assigned to get close to him to find out how much his government knows about U.S. involvement in an opposition organization in his government. Marie is reluctant to take the assignment because she realizes she's being asked to sleep with Sankara for intel. But she does it because the commanding officer knew her sister and promises her info on her sister if the mission is successful. She pretends to be a UN employee assigned to, to give his delegation a tour. The next day, she offers to give him a tour of Harlem, which is where she lives. While nothing happens, she's surprised by the genuine feelings that she has for him. So soon after, Marie is sent to Burkina Faso to run into him. The goal of the mission is to take compromising pictures of the two of them to destabilize his legitimacy while the CIA runs an opposition candidate in an upcoming election. But then there is a big twist. While she's in Africa, Marie finds out she's not actually working for the CIA. She's been recruited by a private security firm headed by her late sister's boyfriend. Her mission is not actually to seduce Sankara, it's to kill him. And by this point, they've both fallen for one, one another. She goes to him to warn him, but he already knows. He's resigned to his fate. She's not okay with it, though. Under the cover of darkness, she goes to a house of her sister's boyfriend and kills him. So Sankara was actually assassinated during a military coup, and Marie is afraid to go back home. So she bounces from city to city, and eventually she realizes that she's pregnant with his child, or what turns out to be twins, so his children, um, and she goes to Martinique to her mother. Back in present day, the book ends as Marie is leaving her mother's farm to hunt the other agent who had recruited her, who she believes is the one who ordered the break into her house. So Lauren, we are so excited to talk about this book with you and unpack this. Great. Yeah, me too. Um, I, I was good to hear it summarized. I haven't, uh, <laughs> I can't remember. It's a funny thing that happens. I sort of can't remember what happens in it anymore in some parts of it. Well, I was I, like, oh yeah, that did happen. <laughs> I read online that you rewrote the book like six times. A, a bunch. Yeah, I, it was so inefficient. I, I would like to write another book, but not like this ever, ever again. Um, you know, because it's the kind of thing where you are learning how to do it while you're doing it. Um, so, yeah, I don't think it was the best way to handle it, but <laughs> I'll try again. Well, the, yeah. the book was amazing. So I actually picked it up. I saw it on a BuzzFeed list of books you should read this year. And I really liked the cover. So I picked it up. And I, what I was looking for was just something really fast paced. And, you know, I was reading, I think I was reading something nonfiction that was slower. 
And I expected it to just be kind of a surfacey spy novel. And I was so impressed as I got into it with just like how smart and like kind of the the background themes that were underlaying this story. I was so excited about it. So we're really excited to just like talk about everything with you. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of because I was like, well, I don't know if I have more than one book in me. So let me just throw everything <laughs> I, I have at it and see and see what sticks. Um, but yeah, I totally, you know, I didn't set out to write a spy novel. Um, I am always, you know, I'm very interested in politics and, and um, just society. So I think you know that i know knowing that i wanted to write about write a novel that had these kind of deeper themes came first for me and then uh but you know every time i asked myself a question about who marie was and and why she was doing the things she was doing and what her past was like for some reason the answer just kept coming back spy <laughs> so um yeah i started following that thread too um but yeah it was a really it was hard. It was a difficult journey, but a fun one. To, well, talk yeah. to us a little bit about the process before we actually talk about material in the book. So it's partially based off of true events. You said you didn't know it was going to be a spy novel. Like, what was the idea? Where, what was the kernel that started you down this path? So I, I went to grad school um, for fiction writing, <laughs> um, which is, you know, I laugh because it's a little bit of an improbable <laughs> thing. Um, and I had a professor who gave us a writing prompt and it was supposed to be we were setting a, a a book or a story in the suburbs and we were supposed to you know write a, something about a family in the suburbs but it didn't uh it couldn't be you know what we typically think of um so we were supposed to sidestep a lot of cliche and <laughs> i guess to do that i i saw you know the book started with marie kind of in the kitchen, I think, or like cooking or preparing food for her kids. And then, you know, and then the thing that felt like it was going to undercut the cliche was uh, an assassination attempt on her. And then I was like, well, why would someone want to do that? Why would someone want to kill her? And going back into her past, it just kept, yeah, it kept feeling more and more like she was a spy to me. But I I started with that image first. Hmm? I love that it started with the suburbs and that was what shape this whole novel yeah and then you know I've written as I as as you pointed out I've written it a bunch of times there was times when the suburbs weren't even in it (laughs) you know like so uh, so I'm glad that it actually kind of came back to um to that you know to where it started well talk to us a little bit about Thomas Sankara because he's a real person so how were you familiar with him or how did he make it into this book I another um professor another college thing when I was an undergrad I had this um great professor who you know it was about our class was the economies of developing countries and he was some one of the people that I I read about there and um I don't know his his legacy always kind of well it struck me and it has stuck with me um because you know he was he was very young very charismatic and I um he did a lot in a very short time and not a lot of people know him about him in this country, but we do really, you know, love Che. <laughs> a lot of people really seem to know who he is, and they are. They seem like they're pretty, you know, they have a lot of similarities. So I felt like, you know, that people would be interested in, in his story as well. 
How did you balance his character, him being this real person and sticking to his story, but then also making him the father of Marie's children, which of course didn't really happen. Was that, no. was that tricky to balance? Like, yeah, I feel like you was. did it so well. <laughs> it was really tricky. Um, it was probably one of the most difficult parts of the book for me because I had to figure out kind of early on what my ethics would be about using a real person. So I didn't want to put any words in his mouth in terms of his ideology. Um, so yeah, everything that he says about politics, um, he did say, you know, so that kind of took me reading a lot and, you know, a lot of the source material is in, is in French. So I, it was a little bit difficult, you know, just practically because my, my French isn't that, that great, but there is a lot of archival information, um, about him. So yeah, I used things that he said, um, when he was a public figure and then in private, his emotional life. Um, that was where I felt like I could, uh, you know, play around a little more and lean into the fact that it is fiction, you know. Um, and also, we read that you spent time in Burkina Faso, which is where a part of the book takes place and where Thomas Sankara was was the president. So I guess I'm really curious about what your experience was like there and how that shaped the book. And, and also, because you were writing, Marie went there in the 80s, I guess, you know, how similar or different is the country to what is portrayed in the book? I, you know, I read some things about Burkina in the 80s, like specific to, you know, like just hoping to capture that correctly. But I I feel like um, the thing that was most important for me was the fact that Sankara is still really highly regarded and respected and his face still appears places. So I felt like, oh, I could. And he's, you know, his legacy still has a real strong hold on 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 people who um almost everyone I met you know so um I felt like that that he was so present in in like public spaces was was something that surely had to have been um the same when in the 80s uh so I I leaned into that I feel like the other thing that was probably very similar was when I went you know he's the compiore is was was still in power. (laughs) So it felt like, um, you know, the events, some of the events that happened in the book are still, were still present, you know, so, but I'm sure, um, yeah, I'm sure it was different in a lot of ways, but I, I tried to lean into and really focus my attention on the ways in which I suspected it was, was the same in those two ways. Yeah. That's so interesting. So when you went there, you were in the thick of writing the book. You already knew what the book was about. Um, I went there, yes, I knew what the book was about. Um, I went there before I sold it. So, yeah, I knew I, I knew what it was about, but it really helped me shape it. You know, and I kind of expected that to be the case, and, and, and I was pleased that it was. Because I think um, going there helped me. Like, I shifted the timeline a little bit um, because going there helped me realize how long I wanted Marie to be there. And that informed like her attitude toward, toward being in um, Burkina. If that, if that makes sense, like she's very much like um, she, she's, I tried to present her as really being an outsider to the culture because, you know, she's only there for, for six weeks, which was how long I was there. So. 
did you have any sort of goal when you were writing this book? Because as Becca mentioned, we both immediately judged it by its cover. Like I saw her Instagram and I was like, I want that. Like just thinking it was going to be this like fun spy thriller. And of course it, it was a fun spy thriller, but there was so much more to that. There was a romance. There were all of these different racial issues. There was sexism. There was political loyalties. Did you have any idea like what you were getting into as you sat down and started writing? <laughs> I think there's always this like level of you know being in denial when you sit down to write a book because they are you know they they can be they can be kind of tricky you know you know what it feels like felt like to me was like if you're stretching if you're pulling apart taffy and like that it just like you know in the beginning it's kind of solid and then as you is the further you stretch it apart, like the longer the book is, the more it starts to sag in the middle and then you, and it gets very, very weak. Um, so writing something long, yeah, I was definitely in, in denial <laughs> about it in the beginning of the, um, in the beginning of the process. Um, but I am sorry. Can you say that again? <laughs> I feel like I'm not answering the question, but no, we, what were, did you... we were just wondering how some of the more complex themes came it, came into the oh. book. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I feel like um, everything is political for me. You know, I, it's hard for me to divor- divorce the political from my experience. So I think Marie um, reflects that. And I think that she would, is the same kind of person. Um, so I think that, you know, she's not, she's having these experiences and wants to be clear about like the context of them, you know, like, um, because, you know, I really do think that's how it would be for a black woman in the, in the eighties who wanted to join the FBI. Like it would be very, I think, you know, no matter how good you are, no matter how much you excel, I think they were, it was still a very, um, you know, masculine, very toxic environment. So, um, yeah, it, it comes out, you know, I think she also is very, really wants to be honest with her sons. And I think, you know, context for her is a type of, is a type of honesty. Yeah. So we're going to take a quick break for one of mm-hmm. our sponsors, and then we are going to come back and talk to, talk to Lauren more about the actual book. So let's take a quick minute to talk about Night Pillow. If you're a regular listener here, you know that they are our actual favorite. Favorite. But if you're new and you don't know what Night Pillow is, it's a memory foam pillow with a silk pillowcase that is designed for better sleep, better skin, and better hair. I'm on board with all three of those things. Obviously. I love mine so much. I've been a bad sleeper for as long as I can remember. Like Even being on this yoga retreat, not having my Night Pillow was like not ideal. I should have brought it out there with me. But um, I struggle with sleep so much. But with this, I sleep really well. I think it's because it's like slightly flat, but it's very supportive. So it like cradles my head like a gentle cocoon. And, you know, it goes without saying Tyrion is a fan. I have two of these on my bed. He has his own. Yeah. Well, that's for my future boyfriend. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which is still in my dating app profile. I have not gone in very many dates this summer, but I have sold a lot of night pillows. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Um, So I'm a side sleeper and I really like that the pillow like bounces back because I toss and turn a lot. So I find that it has good rebound. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's the technical term for it. Um, It's, it's really comfortable, but it doesn't 
get pancakey, which I feel like regular pillows do. Yeah, I hesitate when I say say the word flat. I mean that in the best possible way. Like it's it's not like gonna push your head up and like hurt your neck. Yeah, but it's supportive and it like bounces back or rebounds to use your word. That's the new technical term. Yes. The other thing about it is that it's great for your skin and your hair because the cover is silk. So it preserves a blowout, which is pretty major for me. I can get a second day if I sleep on my night pillow. I mean, Grace over here gets like five days out of a blowout. I do not. And it's really good for your skin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I love my pillows. I have six of them on my bed, but I do not sleep with any of those pillows besides my night pillow. It's like a routine. I pull the duvet up over the night pillows when I make my bed in the morning. Then I add the other pillows back and then I take them off before bed. I will only sleep with my night pillow. Um, And I've said I really, I might buy the travel case because I want to travel with mine. Sounds like you need it. I think I do. But I also think I just would have to get another pillow too then because I would want my travel one to just stay in like my travel bag. Well, you can use our discount. I know. So that's the thing. If you visit www.discovernight.com, you can learn more about the night pillow and their other luxurious beauty sleep mask products. I said masks, but it's because I highly recommend the sheet masks, which actually have gold particles in them, which leave your skin super glowy. So it's discovernight.com and take 20% off using code BOP20. That's 20% off using code BOP20. And don't just take our word for it. So many of our listeners have written to us telling us how much they love their night pillow. And that makes me so happy. And if you DM us, maybe we will read your message in a future ad. Yeah. Okay, back to the interview. So personally, I have a huge CIA fascination. Do you uh-huh. remember, has anyone seen that movie? It's with I think it's with Colin Farrell. And he gets recruited. Well, he thinks he gets recruited into the CIA, but he doesn't. I've seen it. I love spy movies, too. I love spy movies. And so this really drew me to it. And I just, first of all, I thought it was so interesting that this was through the lens of a woman, which is not necessarily the norm. Um, And then also that she kind of came in through a side door where she was in law enforcement and then kind of moved into the CIA. But it wasn't that this was kind of like her path all along. Yeah, because I I think, you know, when I was reading about recruitment, like real recruitment to the CIA at the time, it felt like they were really recruiting a lot of young people from young men in particular from places like uh, Harvard, (laughs) you know, like it was there. there, um, So it it felt like she would have the skill set. But when they were looking to uh, meant to like their pool that they would maybe go to someone who was already in in law enforcement um and i just yeah i i think that maybe a couple of years later they were they were opening it up but like i think when at the time that marie would have been trying to be you know recruited that you know she didn't go to the right school so maybe there wouldn't have been uh that opportunity for her um so that, I mean, actually was like a particular choice that I made because it is something, you know, she's she's really, really smart, but it just never occurs to her to consider even going to an Ivy League school because there is a type of privilege in being able to make that kind of choice. Um, so, yeah, I, I felt it just, it, it felt like having her go through the back door in a way was a way of talking about how someone can be equipped, really skilled at something, but 
that just the way that recruitment in all fields work, you know, we don't necessarily get the best candidates. We get the people who have the privilege of being in the right place, you know, and have the right education and the right credentials. So, well, another thing that I thought was really interesting about that was the dichotomy of her and her sister, because they both read Mm -hmm. or watched all of these spy movies as a kid. And they, they were so fascinated by this. And her sister is very overt where she wants to be a spy. So she joins the military and she is like going through this kind of like procedure. And then on the other hand, Marie decides to be more practical and then kind of gets in the gets in the side door anyway. So I thought that was really interesting where it was something she was she wanted, but she wasn't necessarily as bullish about it as her sister. And I thought it was also interesting how her sister's death affected her her motivations. Yeah, I think, you know, so I think I, I saw Maria as very um, as very, very intelligent, but like kind of really divorced from her emotional motivations from doing something. Um, so I, I feel like she's got like a really big blind spot with who her sister is and like what her sister's, you know, capacities are, are and like what her sister wants to do in the world. And I think like she's very... She's got like this really, she sees herself as being kind of in the shadow of her, of her sister. And it's completely self, you know, imposed. Like, I feel like she thinks, oh, okay, she wants to do this. So I couldn't possibly, or like, I, you know, she's always going to be better at this. So I can't do it. And then, you know, it kind of does it anyway. <laughs> but um, just as a reflection of like, she's in a lot of ways, her her biggest, her own, <laughs> her own enemy, you know, like her, her, her biggest enemy or her biggest way, her stumbling block. I felt like, uh, or maybe I, you know, that, that feels like me. <laughs> Wait, now, like... <laughs> now I'm curious. Do you have sisters? I have a, I have a half sister. Um, she is, I didn't meet her until I was 25 and she is, uh, from Barbados she's from a different country but when I met her we lived um a 10 minute walk away we from oh each my other. goodness <laughs> yeah so wow. I, didn't, I didn't know I had a sister at all and then it's very likely that before I ever met her that I just walked right by her because we were neighbors so it was it's cool that's I mean, so she's, neat yeah but I I you know I was raised an only child I guess so I have you know that but I got to then choose my sister when I got older which is really kind of fun that's really cool. But you were not affected by being the younger sister and living in older sister's shadows. No. You got that. So, <laughs> not not got me that personally. So right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I could imagine. I could imagine it, though. I could imagine, you know, um, really loving someone and, and kind of really idolizing them and how that how that skews your perception of, of who they who they are and how everyone is susceptible to that, no matter, you know, how smart they they seem. So. Um, so one of the headlines that I love that was kind of surrounding your book was finally a novel centered around a black woman spy. And I love that you've been really outspoken about how the spy genre needs to be less white and less male. So I'm really curious about kind of what your thoughts are there. And also that we might have a black female James Bond or not James Bond, but 007. Yeah. 007. Yeah. Um, I think it's cool. And I, I love Phoebe Waller bridge. You know, I Mm -hmm. think that feels like her, one of her, something that she was going to do. Um, I loved Fleabag. So (laughs) I'm glad to see her thriving, even though she's like, 
younger than me, which is so upsetting. Fleabag <laughs> keeps coming up. I, we got to watch it. I watched the first episode. I've heard that the second season is really incredible. Um, yeah. And, but you kind of need to like get there. I don't know that you need to watch the first season to oh. to, 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 to watch the second one. I, I, I don't think so. I mean, yeah, I think you could treat it as a capsule and just watch the second oh, season. Interesting. Um, okay, sorry. So I when I That's okay. <laughs> always always with Phoebe. She is really I do really admire her. Um, so where were we? We were we were talking oh, about yes, having about, a black 007. Yeah, yeah. I um, yeah. I mean, because it just makes so much more sense to me. You know, like someone who like James Bond, how he's always you know how he's portrayed as like he's got to be the worst spy on the planet like he's, everyone, <laughs> he walks in and everyone knows who he is like how are you getting any sort of secret information from anybody you know if you've caused an explosion or i just it just like it, it's like i it's there's fun there's so much fun um but it just it feels like i wanted to i think we're missing something interesting in the way that we can tell a tell a spy story if the spy is confident <laughs> and feels comfortable and that they're entitled to be in every space that they go to that they inhabit because you know it feels like someone who is a real spy someone who sells information for money um they've got to be constantly aware of who they are and and jittery and they're you know age people who you know secondarily people who are like intelligence officers they lie to everyone in their lives (laughs) you know about they have a cover they tell them that they have this job you know as a contractor you know somewhere in Afghanistan but like secretly they are working for the CIA like that has to be there has to be some emotional toll that that takes um and so yeah I just felt like I'm I was interested in, in 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 that and kind of looking at it from that perspective I thought it was also really interesting that, well, I understand that you said it in the 80s because that's when Thomas Sankara was alive, but it was really interesting to think about Marie being in this position in the 80s and early 90s when this industry was probably far more backwards and more of a boys club and like less open to her as a as a spy. Yeah. um, Yeah. I mean, one interesting thing that I found out when I was Um, writing this was my mom did a PhD in social psych um, at the University of Michigan and she said that she was recruited for the CIA stop it they asked her to come in yeah and so and and she decided that she didn't want to do that (laughs) just like it wasn't a job that she could have but the thing about um, Marie's like little red address book disappearing that is how my that's what happened to my mom like she was like my address book disappeared after this meeting and I and I don't know where it is and I can't say I just I feel like even if it even if they had nothing to do with it the disappearance of this book she was like like she was like, no, this is not going to be good for me because her paranoia was sky high, <laughs> you know, because she's still convinced to this day that, wow. you know, it was stolen from her. So, oh my- yeah, I can see why she decided that that was not going to work for her because, yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Did you find any other real life um, female spies of the time that while you were doing your research? Well, the woman that I mentioned in the beginning, Sharon Scranage, she, you know, she was one of the spies 
spying against, you know, she passed, really passed information on to in, in Ghana. Um, and I thought that that was so interesting. Uh, she, you know, I don't, but I only really got like snippets of, of information about her from, from articles, you know, in the eighties and nineties. But I, I'm so curious about like, you know, what happened? <laughs> totally. Uh, <laughs> so, wow, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it. I mean, I, I read so many things about so many um, interesting women at the time. I read also just like a first person account of a woman who she was a black woman who was in Vietnam and I felt very inspired by her. Um, she was kind of very coolly and casually describing being in a market when it was when it was like bombed. I was like, oh my, you know, but um, yeah, she was, I think she had a job similar to the one that I gave, or I, I don't remember if it appeared in this, in the book that was published, but she was, uh, Helene is, um, like she's working as like an analyst or something. And yeah, I think that woman had the same job. Wow. Um, so another thing that I really want to talk about is kind of the different portrayals of racial identity in the book, mm-hmm. because I thought that was so interesting where first we have Marie. And I think this is kind of the most clean cut where she's like fighting this uphill battle um, to realize a career goal and her race and her gender are kind of working against her. Mm-hmm. Um, but then one thing that I thought was really interesting is that Marie's mentor, Mr. Ali is mm-hmm. kind of, successful in this field and the way that he's successful is that he's actually spying against civil rights activists he's like yeah. kind of undermining the cause I thought that was so interesting and something I hadn't thought of where it's like kind of there's this downside to spying because the jobs that you're getting are probably not necessarily furthering your personal beliefs yeah I mean that was so he is kind of based on real person. And oh, really? there was also, Ooh. yeah, there was um, this kind of like a, a someone who is the, like he was an agitator within the nation of Islam. And then he's kind of a combination of, of two people. There's also, you know, when Fred Hampton was, killed by the Chicago PD. He had a lot of barbiturates in his system and there was a it's you know it like I'm I'm being a little hesitant because it sounds very paranoid but it it's true um that there was there was a mole within the Black Panther Party in Chicago who who drugged him um and he was asked to drug him. That guy later, you know, committed committed suicide and I was kind of reading about the struggle how much he he struggled with that, you know, I think he felt initially like he was used um, and then kind of felt like, no, I did the right thing, you know, going back and forth. And then I think, you know, I think by the end of his life was the emotional fallout of it was really difficult for him. So um, I, I realized that there that probably is how a lot of, you know, the few black officers that there were, that's surely how they were almost exclusively used and um i just felt like you know that what you have to give up you know to get is 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 such a is so intense and so much and i and i really was interested in trying to get into the psychology of people who are willing to make that choice um 
yeah, so they were uh, yeah, based on real people and very complicated characters, for sure. <laughs> That's so interesting. Um, and what about Marie's mother? So the Marie's mother, there's a storyline where she is sent to New York from Martinique as a young girl or as mm-hmm. a teenager. And she is light-skinned enough to pass as white. And so that really informs her identity. And she ends up leaving New York. She ends up saying, like, I don't want to live here anymore when her children are pretty young, like in elementary school age, to go back to Martinique. I'm curious about that storyline, which definitely informed Marie's identity from the perspective of being motherless. But, like, I'm curious about the mother's how you thought about the mother's motivations yeah i mean it's so first uh, the first thing i want to say about it is that marie is for sure traumatized by that in a way that like is just it, that is like has an uh, impact on almost everything totally. <laughs> that she does um and then yeah um so i i'm glad that you asked this because I, I i do think this i don't know i find her very interesting it's so one thing is that that seems to be a real taboo for mothers still is is leaving your kids behind you know so um just there are no circumstances under which you can sort of leave your family and you know it it just any i was i've been i read a bunch of things about it mostly from the perspective of adult children whose mothers had left and it's just it's just like much more of a taboo than and much more destructive than fathers Mm -hmm. but then um and so I was kind of investigating that and trying to see like how I felt about that if that was like fair you know to kind of to hold mothers to such a different standard than we we hold fathers to um and then there's another element to it is that um immigration is like a big part of um, I think like black American experience. Um, so, sh- you know, it's a little bit based on my grandmother kind of did the reverse. She, okay. her, her parents were uh, my, my dad and his little brother, she left them behind in Barbados to go to London and then she had kids there. Um, and so she left kind of for a better life, you know, and, and sending money back to them. And that was more acceptable or excusable so I kind of had um, Marie's mother leave just because she is deeply I I just feel like she was deeply unhappy with her with the she loved her kids but is really unhappy with the life that she had and I feel like that's far less excusable socially to just leave a place you know leave your parents in order to leave your children in order to save yourself but I feel like that is what she she was doing and I tried to present it in a way that would be as honest as it could you know that it did have a real effect on her kid's psyche but you know she did it to save herself so so hopefully some things have changed um with regards to the opportunity for someone in Marie's position um Uh I mean we hope (laughs) but do you have any insight into what might be similar or different today versus back then um, I mean, I, I, I think that, I mean, I guess I was like a little bit still writing about today, <laughs> you know, even though it was That's back then and it's, and it's pretty much, it's, it's clear, it's clear, but I, I still think that the fundamental questions that Marie is asking herself about, 
um, her loyalty, you know, it's the, her question is like, should you be loyal to a country or an institution that is not loyal to you, that doesn't have your best interests at heart? Um, and I, I think that a lot of people are still kind of, still grapple with that. I mean, I certainly feel that way, you know, every time, you know, some teen, like a black teenager is shot Mm -hmm. by the police. I'm like, you know, how do I, I, how can I feel safe, um, personally, you know, in a, in a place where my safety isn't valued, you mm-hmm. know, with that, cause that's, that's the message that I get when I see those images. So, um, I, I still think that that feeling, that tension is, is pretty present for, for a lot of people as just in her situation, it's really heightened because, you know, she's, she's a, <laughs> a spy, she's a CIA or she's working for the CIA. So. Right. Yeah. She's risking her life in a different way. That's maybe yeah. more overt, but it's really interesting that it's the same um, kind of the same analogy. That's that's how it feels for me. I mean, yeah. so and I guess that's what I was trying to, one of the things I was trying to articulate. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I want to go back to motherhood because I think one of the really interesting things is that Marie was somebody who was very um, kind of upwardly mobile in her career and, and she didn't have much of a home life in kind of the first timeline in the book in the 80s. Um, you know, it didn't seem like she had a lot of friends. It didn't seem like she had a lot of close relationships. And and then um, in the second half of the book, she's a mother and she is kind of, you know, blindly protecting her two sons. And I'm curious how you thought about how motherhood would change her and kind of how that was partly her safety, but then partly protecting these children is what made her kind of leave her career. Yeah, I think... So I feel like she has a terrible fear of abandonment that keeps her really at a distance from everybody. Um, I think that's like why she kind of can't have a lot of romantic relationships. I think that just the loss of her mother and the death of her sister mm-hmm. prevent her from being able to kind of make connections because she's so afraid of being hurt. Um, I think that in her mind, having kids is in a different box and that she owes them something that her mother couldn't, that she felt that she was owed by her mother, but Mm -hmm. didn't get. So I think like her whole thing will be, I think her whole sort of uh, sensibility is kind of around uh, protecting her kids and never, and always being there for them. So the book ends where it ends because to me having her do that having her actually you know have to leave is is uh like the deepest irony (laughs) of her life um in order to protect them because that was like the one thing that I think she thought that she would never ever do yeah so yeah having to kind of contrive circumstances for that to happen um you know it was it was is is the story that I wanted to tell um, and one that made her, you know, makes her life difficult. Cause the one thing you don't want to do, you know, she, she, she does. So, yeah. And it's so interesting that she leaves them with her mother who left yeah. her. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it all kind of came full circle. <laughs> so wait, yeah. so the book is left kind of in this open ended place and mm-hmm. I interpreted it as a, an intentionally kind of like, 
open-ended ending not necessarily that there was going to be more in the series but then I want more I read in Grace's notes and she was like well is there a sequel so tell us like what what's next what are you thinking um well I kind of thought okay well this is where I wanted to end this story um because it felt like so if I say that she goes after Ross and she kills him you know then it's like that's like a conclusion to a cycle that I don't think has a conclusion. Um, and, and that felt like a little bit dishonest to me to, 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 to imply that. And I didn't want her to go after him and then to be killed because I'd sure, spent six yeah. years writing her. And I really started to, you know, think about this person as someone outside of myself and I really liked her. So, um, you know, but I am thinking, I was thinking of maybe doing a, if I were to do a sequel, it would be from Ross's perspective. Oh, um, interesting. And then the last, yeah, and then the last bit would be kind of their, like, final showdown. I have a sense of what I think would happen, but I want to be able to, yeah, I, do, I, I don't want to wrap it up neatly because this is just, like, you know, I do feel like it's a it's a system where people are chewed up and spit out and they never you know get to you you finish one thing but there's always there's always more you know that that's there's always there's always another person willing to go and fight us a, a secret war in another country on behalf of <laughs> you know american politics and american foreign policy um you know if, if if one of them were to stop the other there's there's always someone else willing to take their place so i think that would be so interesting i thought ross was such an interesting character being gay and kind of how he had gotten into this and then also he kind of turned traitor and was starting his own seemingly like agency with with fewer scruples than than the CIA (laughs) I would would love to read about that yeah so yeah I I think that he and Marie on another timeline would be really good friends actually it's just that they have like a slight (laughs) way that they just see the world differently um and so i think it, and, it, and so it makes them mortal mortal enemies but it really is just one thing because they also had to deal both have to deal with this you know grappling with i'm here i am working for an agency that doesn't see me as you know fully <laughs> like you know as as like my full potential really so so but, oh go ahead Chris. Oh, I was just going to say, what's next for you then? So you mentioned that you're writing on TV series. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's a spy show. Stop <laughs> it. That's so exciting. <laughs> uh, it's it's a really, really a lot of fun. And it's so different to um, write with a group of people. You know, like, because it's when I have a stupid idea in a novel, I have to kind of like follow it for months or six weeks writing it. Then I'm like, oh, this is a stupid idea. But like, if you, you know, say it in a room, they're like, no, that's not really going to work. They say it nicely, but then you you move on much more quickly. But there is the embarrassment of having to say your dumb ideas in front of how many writers are there? Uh, Eight others. Oh, wow. That must be interesting, like going from writing a book where you're the only one writing it to writing with eight other people and collaborating like that. Yeah. It's a really different way to do it. Um, totally, totally fun. I feel like, you know, I got really lucky with my room, so I'm learning a lot and they're all really, really nice. Um, yeah. So I I hope to kind of keep going. I I like, I like, I like doing both kinds of writing. I, I was intimidated initially. I thought maybe I couldn't write for TV, but 
seems like I'm doing okay. So, <laughs> um, so you said that you might have a, a sequel percolating in kind of the back of your mind. Are there other book ideas that you're thinking about outside of this universe? I am working on something now about a, um, a black woman who is a con artist. Um, and oh, she's cool. kind of trying to con a con, like she's trying to con a Bernie Madoff person, like kind of character. Yeah. It's set, it's set in like, a, I'm keep going back in the past. I feel like I'm going to keep going further and further back. This one is set in the forties cause it's based on someone who, uh, was arrested for embezzlement but he was like the new york stock exchange president you know like he there was no reason he had no reason (laughs) like everyone really trusted this person um but he was yeah ultimately a con artist and one thing i thought was so interesting was that when they arrested him they like apologized for it what (laughs) because oh my gosh and i just was like oh this is like exactly this is fast it's so fascinating to me because they're you know, who do we even perceive as a con? Who do we even perceive as like a criminal? You know, if like certain people, like their class kind of uh, prevents that, you know, like, I mean, we're seeing now in the news that the there are the worst people, like the absolute worst people are being arrested for the worst crimes. And they have been able to do it for so long because they were very, very wealthy. You know, I'm thinking of Epstein in particular. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I would be really interested in that. But I'm curious, what are some of your favorite books outside of, you know, the books that you were writing? Like, what's inspired you? I love books, you know, all the books I read as a kid, those are going to always stay with me. I have a tattoo of, uh, you know, Where the Sidewalk Ends, because I loved that so much. Shel Silverstein, oh, Shel Silverstein. Was a yeah. Yeah. Um, I loved Roald Dahl. I loved Matilda. Oh, he lot. was my when favorite. I, yeah. You know, I read I, all of his books. Did yeah, you read I The Witches? As a kid. Yeah. The Witches the was. Movie scared yes. me silly. I still can't watch <laughs> like, that movie. It's terrifying. I know, I know me neither, because it's like you go back to that old, like, seven year old self fear yeah. you're just like oh I can't be afraid of things like this as an adult but tapping into that as a kid yeesh, yeah I was telling somebody recently I think did you ever play Bloody Mary as a kid yes yes I think about Bloody Mary at least once a week every time I pee in the middle of the night I think about like, Bloody oh Mary oh my god Becca. <laughs> yes. I, I don't look at the mirror and I was uh, no, like no I I completely understand that I was like <laughs> wow just like this sleepover game is really stuck with me as an adult. It's really stuck with me. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing that things have that that capacity. Totally, they do. Yeah. What about what are you reading right now? I am reading. So, uh, philosophy of ruin is a book that I just finished. Uh, I had to go like look at my shelf. <laughs> it's amazing. It's a, like a. Um, it is a it is a really philosophical book. Um, it's very clever, but it's kind of about a guy who gets kind of coerced into being a drug runner. <laughs> but he's but he really thinks of you know a oh, lot wow. of metaphysical questions about it. It's really good. Um, I'm also reading Devotion by Madeline Stevens. It's a galley, so I don't think that that one is out yet. Um, and I also read a book recently called Beijing Payback, which I finished in like two days and I am reviewing it. So that one is good too. Yeah. I'm glad I liked it because I had to review it and I don't ever want to 
and I don't want to criticize someone else's book. <laughs> yeah, that's so risky to agree to it before you've read it. Yeah, I know. I know. I had no idea that it was going to play out like that. So like, I'm like, whew, thank God. But they, I'm not, I don't think I can do it again because it is a risk and I, I can't say, I'm, you know. I'm really curious. This is kind of the last question. Have you read a lot of like the, uh, the spy genre of books? I did while I was writing. Okay. Um, a ton of Le Carre, who I really liked. Um, and I, you know, I watched a lot of movies as sure. well. Uh, I, I did read Casino Royale, the Ian Fleming book, uh, the James Bond book. And I was like, this is wildly sexist. Like, oh my God, I'm sure. They, they really smooth over that in the movies. But he's just like, oh, I have to work with a woman? Damn. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, okay, maybe her breasts don't get in the way. Like, I fine. I guess I can do this. Like, it's just so, it's so strange. Um, and yeah, I read, um, like a lot of the classics, uh, like the, the quiet American, okay. um, rogue male, I think is that it's like kind of like one of the old thrillers. I read a bunch of them and then like a lot of, a lot of nonfiction too, to yeah. really help me of CIA officers. That's amazing. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for being here with us. You've, o- yes. you've earned your own desperation minute, which is what we call it, um, because we beg for reviews every episode. But where can people follow <laughs> you? Where can they find you? What can they do for you? Oh, I am Thrillkinson <laughs> on um, Instagram and Twitter. Okay. Yeah. So like, you know, Wilkinson, but with a thrill. thrill I love Kinson. that name. That's that. very clever. <laughs> also, go buy her book. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Buy my book. <laughs> and leave it a nice review on Goodreads or Amazon. Yes. That too. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. That's good advice. Thank you. Yeah. We're here to, we're here to hype you up. <laughs> cool. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about obsessions. Becca, what, what are you obsessed with? I'm seeing this on the outline and I have no idea what it is. Okay. I am obsessed with an Israeli TV show called The oh, Baker I saw this on your story. and The Beauty. So the premise is that it's a um, family in Israel and they're, they have two adult sons and a daughter and they all work in this family bakery making pita bread. And the oldest son falls for, he meets kind of in a coincidence and then falls for the like richest woman in Israel who's like this socialite slash actress (laughs) and so our friend Kate had suggested this to me because she was like it's kind of like the idea of you I don't think it's actually that much like the idea of you but it is still very good so I had initially tried to watch it when I first moved into my new apartment and I had a very small tv and I couldn't read the subtitles so (laughs) I watched like 10 minutes of it and I was like I can't do this but then a couple weeks ago I was like jonesing for a new tv show I needed something to watch and I was like it came up I I pressed into Amazon Prime that's where it is and it came up and I was like I'll give this another try Grace I'm so addicted it's so good I don't really like shows that have subtitles but I'm I don't either I'm I am reading it in spite of the subtitles like it is such a commitment Mm. but I'm so into it Okay. Apparently, it's like one of the biggest shows in Israel. Interesting. Yeah. So there's two seasons out, and apparently they're filming the third season now. And then there's also going to be a U.S. adaptation. I am very into this. I put it on my Instagram story like a week ago. A lot of people said that 
only like three people said they watch it, but a lot of people said that they were going to start watching it. So I'm here to like be the president of this chapter of the really weird Israeli soap opera fan club. Great. Yeah. Tell me about your obsession. So I am late to the party. So all summer long when we did our live shows, Becca would have these cute new dresses. And I'd be like, where'd you get that? Where'd you get that? Everything was Rent the Runway Unlimited. So I finally joined. I've only had one shipment so far. And I love it. I feel like drunk with wardrobe power and that like, oh, I want to try this designer. Oh, I can. I'll just add it to my little like my next whatever it's called I, I, I keep wanting to call it a fix like with stitch fix but I, I'll add it to my next delivery no it's great it took a learning curve for me to be able to fig- figure out the sizing across the designers and to kind of like I think I shop so much that I already know my designers <laughs> maybe but yeah it took me a while but uh, oh man I am so into it especially with all this wedding stuff I have going on this summer it's like a savior because otherwise yeah. I would have to buy something new for every event and now I'm just like wearing Rent the Runway stuff. It's so fun. Um, I've always just rationalized like oh I don't want that I'm a shopper like I I like to shop and I don't and I want to have things that I keep forever but like it's nice because it's sustainable it's a lot less waste so you can try something and maybe it becomes your favorite new designer and you buy it or you can actually buy the items afterwards if you love them. I've done that a few times because you get a discount so yeah the dress that I wore to our DC live show I liked it so much and it was a Solani dress I'm and so because it was last that. season it was 50% off yeah there is so. a a red short sleeve sweater I haven't worn it on my blog or my Instagram yet but it has a high heel on it Cute. and I'm very tempted to keep it it looks like a graphic tee but it's like a little bit more upscale because it's like a sweater cute um I am obsessed I think it is so much fun I like I'm really enjoying like adding these little pieces to my wardrobe and then sending them back and getting something new yeah what about on Instagram so mine is a one that I've been following forever, but they just popped up in my feed again. You know, sometimes like people's stuff just don't show up for you, which I know my stuff doesn't always show up for people. But Degorney was not showing up for me. Degorney makes, I think, if I had like my dream home and could choose all of my wallpaper and tapestries, they would all be from Degorney. Oh. Um, the wallpaper is just exquisite. They have, it's just home porn. I mean, the bathrooms, the powder rooms, the bedrooms, and there's so much green and so much foliage, which you know, like, I cannot resist a plant motif. So, I just wanted to highlight them again because I've been following them for years, but oh man, they, they're just the dream. Degorney and Shoemaker, I would say, or Schumacher is the way to pronounce that. But like, look at this green this green bathroom oh that's beautiful yeah everything on their feed is so so beautiful and so the spelling for that is d-e-g-o-u-r-n-a-y oh like look at this like these flowers like Mm. it's just it's it's art it's actual art a lot of it's also hand painted so it's something I'll never be able to afford it's like wildly expensive so it's something to follow on Instagram not really to buy yeah but you can get inspiration from it yeah yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. Um, I'm still on my Instagram follower blackout of not trying not to follow new people. So I'm, I told you that if I was still on it, I would just start telling you about my favorite dogs on Instagram. So one of my original favorite Instagram dogs is this toy poodle. And his handle is Life of Jinky. Oh, he's real and cute. Jinky is J-I-N-K-E-E. And he's a miniature toy poodle. And he's like, reddish brown and he's so cute oh he lives in australia he lives in australia 
He kind of looks like fried chicken. Look at his tongue. He's so cute. He does look like fried chicken. That's funny. He's so Just cute. Eat him. So this look at is, him with a chicken. I know. <laughs> this is one of my original favorite Instagram dogs, I'm and cool. I have a lot of favorite Instagram dogs. So. If I keep not following people, I will just tell you about a new dog every week. There's nothing wrong with going back to old favorites. Like, Degorny is an old fave of mine. Yeah, Jinky is a forever fave. Yeah. He's cute. He's really cute. Yeah. I like poodles a lot. What about books? It looks like we have both been doing a lot of reading. When I was on my yoga retreat, I probably read a book a day. So... Before That's I, the dream vacation. It's the dream vacation. I felt so bad. I was very antisocial. Like, everyone went to the beach during the day, and I was like, I'm just going to stay at the house and read. Like, we're this beautiful, like, it's like a bed and breakfast during the regular season, but it, um, it's my friend Christopher's mom's bed and breakfast, so it's this beautiful house in Sag Harbor. Like, I did not want to leave, and I did not. I would just sit out on the patio and read, but... um. I read, I finished up three women before I left and Mm -hmm. that was obviously amazing. We're going to talk all about that in August as our August book pick. But I also, then I read by Riley Sager, Lock Every Door. And that was so creepy. So this girl is basically very, very broke. She loses her job and her boyfriend all in the same day. And she ends up taking this strange Craigslist job to apartment sit this beautiful apartment on the Upper West Side. It's like overlooking Central Park and this iconic old, old building that like only like rich people and celebrities live in. And she's getting paid $4,000 a month to what to house it. And she's kind of weirded out by it. There's all these rules. Like she can't bring guests. She can't have any nights where she doesn't sleep there. There's all these rules. So there's Is the house haunted? Is Bloody Mary there? I don't want to tell you what's wrong. I'll tell you because I know you're not going to read this, but I don't want to tell our listeners what is wrong because... I bet it's Bloody Mary. There's something very wrong. It is not Bloody Mary, but there's something very wrong going on in the house. People are disappearing. It's so creepy. But oh, that is not my kind of book. And I stayed up all night one night of the yoga retreat. I mean, all night being midnight because I go to bed at 930 during a yoga retreat, um, finishing it. Loved it. Highly recommend. So then I read With the Fire on High by Elizabeth Acevedo. And Akila, who was one of our guests, had recommended this. And this book, I just ordered it blindly because Akila recommended it. But it's wonderful. And I was not prepared for it to be YA. So, because I really did no research. I was just like, oh, Akila recommends? Adds a cart. So I added it and I loved this. It's about a girl. She's in her senior year of high school. And she's really struggling because she is a teen mom. She got pregnant her fr- her freshman year of school. And she's not really sure. Like She's kind of just like waffling. She's not sure, sure if she wants to go to college. She's not really sure what she wants to do. It's very hard because she lives with her grandmother. Her parents are kind of – her mother died, and she's kind of estranged from her father. And she has to work, like, all these jobs just to make ends meet. It was, um, it was intense because – it's like it makes you realize like how privileged you are like at least for me how privileged I was growing up even though like we were just like firmly middle class like I didn't I like worked of course too but I was just like the challenge that this that she faced in her life were like pretty pretty hard um but it's really also about perseverance and I loved I loved the story I thought it was very uplifting and like really happy and heartfelt so loved that then I read, I'm sorry, this is going so long. I read Tell Me Everything by Cambria Brockman. And Cambria and I have followed each other on Instagram for a long time. She's based in Boston. She's got a great account. It's like Cambria underscore Grace, I want to say. 
And I was expecting something really light and positive from her because that's her personal brand. It's actually like quite a dark, twisty thriller. And there's a murder and it was wonderful. It takes place in a liberal arts college that is very closely resembling Bates, which is where um, Cambria went to school and is where I wanted to go to school when I was in high school. I applied early there and did not get in. Um, so I loved it. It's it's wonderful. And then I just started The Wedding Party by Jasmine Guillory, and I'm trying to like get through that as quickly as possible because I want to read my friend Anna, which you're going to talk about. But um, The Wedding, I mean, all of Jasmine Guillory's books are wonderful. They're just like fun, light romances. And I'm only like 25% through that right now. What a casual little reading list you have going I know. on. It's like some, and I highly recommend everything on my list. Good. Like, do you ever have those months where you're just like, oh my God, like slogging through so yes, many books? I had that last month. Everything I'm reading right now is like an A minus or above. Okay. Yeah. Strong endorsements. Yeah. So I finished Whisper Network, which I mentioned last week. I did not love it. Um, it's crazy because this is Reese Witherspoon's book club pick for July. And I didn't love it. And I was talking to Hitha over the weekend. and She didn't love it either. And um, she said that uh, she she asked me if I liked Big Little Lies, the book. And I said, no, I didn't. And she said she thinks it's like kind of in the same vein where it's like if you didn't like that one, you won't like Whisper Network. So maybe it's a oh, me thing because I everyone, loved Big Little Lies. Everyone loved Big Little Lies except for me. So I think it might be a me thing. But Do you I, have a hard copy or was it Kindle? I have a hard copy. Can I have it? Yeah. Cool. Um, but I didn't love Whisper Network. So then I started Save Me the Plums by Ruth Reichel because Grace has been raving about it. And I was really hesitant about it for some reason. And I, I'm loving it. I'm about halfway through. You were hesitant. Oh, that sounds familiar. Like the idea of you. But I really liked it. Or am liking it. I'm halfway through. And um, But I had to stop it because I had to read My Friend Anna by Rachel Deloche-Williams that I was talking about last week. So this is written by the girl who was scammed by Anna Delvey. And the book is about Anna Delvey and like that case. It's like a true story. Um, she pretended to be a fake. She pretended to be a German heiress and was running a check wiring, check kiting scheme. Um, and like basically actually living the life of a socialite in New York, but she was not. Um, so anyway, so I read this book. It was, phenomenal it was so interesting this is something that I like is a niche genre that I'm very into like I will read anything about Anna Delvey this case just fascinates me so my main concern reading it was will there be new information because I have consumed a lot of Anna Delvey content same there is there's a lot of new information what I thought was really interesting is the first half of the book talks about her before anyone's wise to her being a fraud but the second half of the book is is after uh, they take this trip to Morocco where the author gets stuck with a $60,000 tab for the trip and before Anna gets caught. So there's all of this like interpersonal stuff that's going on and like it's crazy. So I really enjoyed it. I learned some new things about Anna Delvey. There's two TV shows coming out. I can't wait for oh them either. Oh my god, I cannot wait. One's a Shonda Rhimes show and you know Shonda never disappoints. But really good book. It came out last week. It's My Friend Anna by Rachel Deloche-Williams. 
real good. So I think we gave you enough book picks to take a look at. But if not, next month, as Grace mentioned, we are reading Three Women by Lisa Tadeo as our book club pick. And I'm really excited because there is so much to talk about with this book. It is nonfiction and it profiles the sex lives of three different women who are all in very different relationships and places in their lives. It's wilder than fiction. It is, but it's also really relatable even though personally I do don't think we have anything in common with any of the women who are profiled no I mean but they're they're just such vulnerable characters I think that the way that Lisa tells all three of their stories is just like it's such great storytelling while sticking to the truth yes so definitely pick that up and we will be back next week to talk to you more yes can't wait bye bye guys Thank you.